listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Hey listeners, before we get to today's interview, I want to tell you about an exciting development. Grief Out Loud recently partnered with BetterHelp. Have you heard of them? They provide online counseling and support with licensed counselors via video, phone call, real-time chat, and messaging. When BetterHelp reached out to us to ask if we wanted to partner, we thought, well, we better try it before we recommend it to you. So a few weeks ago, I signed up and got connected to a local counselor. It's been great. You know how when you try to find a counselor, especially in the before times, it took a lot of work? When you do finally connect with someone, you might have had to trek across town or even to a different town, navigating traffic and scheduling. With BetterHelp, I got connected in just a few days. The scheduling was super easy, and the commute just required me to walk across my house to a different room. If you're needing support and counseling, give BetterHelp a try. You can sign up using our specific Grief Out Loud link. It's betterhelp.com forward slash grief, and you'll get 10% off your first month. So once again, it's betterhelp.com forward slash grief. Okay, here's today's interview. The thing about working in the world of grief and loss is there's really no way to have a complete separation between the personal and the professional. I'd argue that in any venture, whether it's work, school, parenting, or otherwise, it's pretty impossible to have a total split. No matter how hard we might try, everything affecting us at home comes with us when we go to work and out into the world. Then there are times when what you do for work is also what you do at home. Alicia Alexander is a licensed therapist who, for the past 20 years, has worked with children, teens, and families facing loss. The inspiration for her work began back in 1994, when her father died of cancer. In his last few weeks, Alicia's dad implored her to make sure she found a way to give back to others in the ways that they gave to her and her family during his illness. It took a little bit, but eventually Alicia made her way fully into the professional world of supporting others in their grief. Over the past two decades, she served as a consultant on grief, loss, gang intervention, and inclusion. She's also authored two children's books about grief, and also a professional resource guide called Tapestries, a creative and inclusive approach to grief support with young people and communities. Most recently, Alicia served as a consultant for the Speaking Grief Initiative, a multimedia project focused on helping all of us get better at talking about and supporting grief. In the few weeks leading up to our conversation, grief has come home with Alicia in a very personal way. Her daughter's father, who had been facing brain cancer, died less than a month ago. So now, in this time of pandemic distance and virtual connection, Alicia has been working to support her daughter while also attending to her own grief. We talk about so much, about gratitude as a practice during this painful time, about the importance of love stories and making sure that children and teens know the love stories of the adults in their lives, and about what Alicia is doing in this time to take care of herself and her family. Oh, I almost forgot. 
One thing to note about this recording is the sound quality is not that great. And I think it's because Alicia and I recorded on the first week of school for kids in Portland, and all the kids are going back to school virtually. So I'm pretty sure the entire metro area was on Zoom at the exact same time that Alicia and I were. So apologies, the sound quality is not very great. I do hope you'll be able to hear everything Alicia says because every word is so meaningful. All right. Thanks for your patience with that today. Alicia, thank you so much for joining me for Grief Out Loud today. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored and excited to be here. And I know we, you know, we talked about setting up this interview. We had some questions laid out and then the last weekend happened. Today is August 31st, 2020. And and over the weekend, you know, the news came through that Chadwick Boseman, who many people know as the Black Panther, and Cliff Robinson, who's longtime NBA, former trailblazer, former Yukon Husky, where I grew up, uh, basketball player. And there's been a lot over the weekend in social media about grieving for celebrities. And what does that mean for us in our individual grief? And just wanted to check in with you, like what came up for you? What did you hear from people so thank you for giving them that moment. I want to add John Thompson to that, who um, passed away over the weekend as well, head coach of Georgetown, um, who he is. I don't know that there is a, a way to engage what we are all feeling and adding these other huge losses to it. I think that's you know where I've kind of landed When I'm thinking about what I'm seeing in the social media community, what I'm seeing in my own community, I'm seeing a lot of people struggling. And I think when we think about celebrity deaths or even just grieving the deaths of people we don't know, what comes up is that kind of, wow, why am I feeling this way moment? Like, I didn't even know them. I didn't really even particularly like their movies or, you know, like, but you are struck and stunned and you are vibrating with your timeline. You're vibrating with your children, your family members around the fact that another um, person has joined the ancestors. And when I think about Chadwick and I think about all of the losses um, in this COVID moment, there is just that sense of belonging that I think many of us don't have a waking awareness of, waking, working gratitude around um, because business as usual and let's get back to normal and let's just do and press on. And these losses make us pause um, because the way many of us are getting through this is by watching television. It is by watching movies and certainly Chadwick in particular represented a really beautiful moment in cinematic history. What he engaged and showed us in terms of representation was really powerful and most unexpected in terms of, oh, another Marvel movie, you know, like for his performance and for his performances, um, he had a trajectory that I think all of us can grieve and and have some awareness around. I think what is stunning in this is that he 
was in this very tender, very tenuous physical state for most of our getting to know his talent. And that really fits um, as a place of peace and also as a place of pride in terms of the resilience and the fortitude of um, our Black men. And I don't view his walk, his struggle as any different from those young Black men that I see in the street that I work with. Um, it's, it's that kind of added testament to um, who we are as a people. And I have a special place in my heart around this loss um, due to the personal losses that I'm um, walking right now. And also because my own father died from colon cancer. And so this is a moment of awareness around how important it is for us, all of us, to get screened um, and to take our health, our well-being seriously when all of us are focused on well-being and health. And so that's one of the byproducts of this moment that I'm really focused on is how this awareness is blooming and what we actually do with it. You know, stop ignoring because we're so busy and actually go get your screenings, get checked up, get tested, you know, have your preventative space taking precedence right now. Uh, Alicia, as you were talking and you mentioned the word like the tenderness, the pain, and also the fortitude. And I think about you've had you know, a two decade long career supporting children, teens, families in their grief and all of the pain and the fortitude that you've sat with. And, you know, you know, we've been in the field about the same time. And I, I'm curious what, what brought you into this world? Cause there's not that many of us doing this work. I, I know, I know. Um, I, I, I stumbled in, <laughs> I, I did. I stumbled in. Um, I, think grew up with this really incredible lens on life, grief, death, and dying um, because my father was a Baptist minister. You know, there was no day, no week that went by without him heading out the door um, to sit with, be with a family. And our role as first family was to go and do the same um, in the ways that we could. So, you know, my whole weekends were a mix of choir practice, funerals, and weddings. And <laughs> it was a, a weird but oddly blessed way to kind of think about life and to think about um, the lives of my friends. Um, because my father was often an officiant, you know, at their parents' funerals or their family's funerals. Um, and I think it tied me to my community in a way that, most kids today especially don't get. That is not to say that I did not have the foot stomping tantrums, this is so boring, you know, writing all over funeral programs thing, going to sleep in a funeral, in a church, in a wedding, um, and, and definitely wanting to be at the mall or, you know, play softball or do something else other than be in the church. But um, that was the start. And I got a lot wrong. I understood that people were sad. I understood that something had happened, but I did not understand the role that my father had in people's lives. I didn't get that until that role got reversed um, when he became 
terminally ill. And the community came and did for us what we had always done for them. And so coming into this work was about running from it and um, my last conversation with my father. His entire space was, this was a miracle that we had this extra time together and you must do something to give back to the people that have given to us because this made all the difference. I know you in a way that I never thought I could and I hope you know me and you've got to give that back. You've got to make sure that other people have this kind of experience. And so um, I ran away from that deathbed promise and because <laughs> I was terrified, I was terrified. Um, I thought about and said to him, but daddy, you know, I couldn't even be here with you really. And he was like, it was enough and you will be enough. And so that's how I got here. Started working with the hospice that helped us um, during my dad's illness and death. And I, I haven't looked back. <laughs> I haven't looked back. Oh, I appreciate you sharing that story and that, you know, I, I knew about your dad's death sort of propelling you into wanting to be with others who were grieving. But I, I don't think I understood that it was really his life and what he did with his life that also served as the foundation for that inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, and just thinking about that time when the community was coming in and out of the house and like really, really helping us, it, it, it didn't occur to me that that's who he was. You know, all I knew was, okay, your dad can't come to your band recital because he's at church or he's, you know, at a meeting or he's teaching or he's out, he's working. And so there's a lot of resentment and anger and disappointment. Um, that was a part of my childhood and my adolescence around that commitment. And that coming full circle was like, ah, oh, light bulb moment and like this this is what service is. This is what a life well-lived is. And, and knowing that so much about being present with people who are grieving has remained the same for decades and centuries of like show up, be present, do the dishes, those kinds of things. But over 20 years of being in the field, I mean, things have changed. Perspectives have changed. The way we talk about things has changed. And I'm curious, what's your take on that? Like, what have you seen change and how have you changed the way you do this work? So, you know, a lot has changed and I will kind of um, liken this to even the context that we're all in right now around racial unrest and, you know, kind of coming to terms with the energies that, that are occurring right now, which is like, you know, grief is and has almost this like monolithic like shroud over it. And there's a, a shifting that I'm seeing around the celebrity deaths, around just the loss inherent in this year um, that has us talking about this differently and, and maybe even for the first time in really personal and vulnerable ways. And I don't know that 
that we've been here like this before with all of the knowledge that we have, um, with all of the access that we have. There's a kind of like an unveiling that feels like we're engaged in right now. And certainly grief isn't new, right? But like there's something about our access to each other and to information that is making this hit a little differently. And what I'm aware of in the work and having done this for as long as I have is that um, I am enjoying the opportunity to be a student. I'm also enjoying the huge outpouring of emotion that's happening right now. Um, I can think of 9-11 having the same energy this is Diana's death, having us in this moment where we actually saw the way a whole different country grieves and we're, you know, kind of pivoting to, oh, okay, this is different and this is big. There's also just that space of we definitely are engaging trauma. We're engaging generational narratives around grief and loss that I don't think we have done, I don't know, if ever. Um, even in the war space, even in kind of like this, you know, the great generation space, the themes there were resilience and, you know, we're a great country, we're a great people. And that was the positive message cut off. Whereas what we're in, gauging right now is, are we great? Are we gonna get through this? Who are we? Who are we trying to be? And who have we been to each other? And to me, that's the shift. Is this really um, beautiful undercurrent around what this narrative is going to be. And I think all of us even having an awareness of how big this shift is and nobody is untouched in it, nobody. And I think that's what is changing in it. We're having different conversations around inclusion. We're having different conversations around what trauma adds to this experience. We're having conversations in families and in communities that we've never had before around the collective loss. And I think that's a, a promising and um, a real opportunity for learning for all of us that have been doing this for a very long time. Um, I'm loving even the incorporation of how do we do this and be real connected, but through the screen, you know, how do we redefine funeral rituals? That question around, well, how do you grieve? You know, what do you want that any other time, we would just be doing. We would be in a logistic around it. There is no answer to this. We are all in uncharted territory. And I think that is both terrifying, but also just not without a word for it. I, I think it's um, a, a place of forgiveness, a place of grace. That's I'm getting, I'm giving myself goosebumps. 
Well, I was thinking too, as you're talking about getting kind of yanked out of the automatic rituals and routines that have been around for so long and that in the moment of somebody dying, we just turn to because we haven't not, I don't want to talk about it for everybody, but many of us aren't spending a lot of time leading up to something happening, planning or being intentional. And so when something happens, it's like, okay, well, what, what happens? What's the automatic thing? What's the ritual? What's the go-to? And for a lot of people right now, that the go-to is not available. And so there has to be innovation and intention and creativity in the midst of so much loss, which from what I can see is leading to a lot of uh, exhaustion. <laughs> You know, so it's like there's opportunity and and just that the caring that everyone's doing. And, and the other image I had come to my mind when you were talking, and this might be a little too reductionist, but as you were talking about like the veil getting dropped on a lot of things is that for so long, I think, you know, grief, we just like shove it in the dresser drawer, just shove it in the dresser drawer. And we're at this place now where not only is the drawer not shut, but the bottom is falling out and the legs are coming off the whole dresser and the sides about to fall to the, you know, fall apart and like everything's on the floor. Yes. Yes. And I mean, you know, that wonder, you know, when you find that pair of socks that slipped in between the back of the drawer and the bureau. <laughs> That's a moment too. Like here's this loss that I thought I had dealt with that's coming up. And those are those moments, these last thought moments that are coming up. And um, I think if we're open to them, they can be really amazing and beautiful. But it's also an indicator of also kind of how shut down and, and shut off and how we have tucked away and, you know, made a real intentional space around, I got to just be okay. That's something that is, has been an interesting dance in this. As a professional in this field, I think about the cumulative effect of this work. And I also think about just the nature of grief for all of us is you're not one and done. You know, like there's there's more coming, and even that one big loss has a lot of layers of little losses and, and other shifts that you're juggling at the same time. And it's one of the great parts of change and transition is to engage what that's going to mean for you as an individual, and for your family, and for the world, and for the community. And, that circle goes and goes and goes. Which can be a lot, which is why I think so often we're tempted to just shove it back in the dresser drawer than <laughs> to have some of those those questions and those conversations. And and I have a totally selfish question for you. That's a little bit off what we've been talking about. But one of the things I get asked all the time in this field is how do I tell the difference between what's normal kid or teen behavior and what's grieving kid or teen behavior? And I struggle to answer that question all the time. So selfishly, I'd love to know, what do you say? So I can have a better answer next time someone asks me. Well, well I don't know that mine is that evolved because I don't have a distinction. I think that if we are opening up to what grief brings us and teaches us, um, grieving is normal teen behavior. It, it is, the, is the work of adolescence is the work of childhood. And I think about 
in the years of doing this, you know, one of my favorite things to do with anyone is tell me everything you've lost, leave nothing out, you know, like it, it's laying on me. Usually I'll get that look of like, huh? Well, you know, you're here because, or I'm here because my dad, my mom just died, or my brother just died, or why are you asking me who I've lost? I was like, no, I'm not saying who. Um, I said, give me all of the losses, run it. And usually kids, teens, people get stumped by the question. And rightfully so, because we do not think about loss as change. And so I think the deepening of the definition of loss, the deepening of the definition of grief is an opportunity for us to engage beyond behavior, beyond the loss that's in front of you. It allows you to engage the spectrum of life. It allows you to move in. Okay, this isn't just about grandmother dying or Nana dying or, you know, the neighbor down the street or my teacher or whatever the loss is, it's about, I'm changing every day. You know, I've got a mustache now. I've got a deeper voice. Um, I've got, you know, pimples. That's a loss experience. How I navigate this will also be how I navigate losing someone, someone's when I'm asked that question, I think about the incredible parenting teaching moment that's in that, which is this is your chance to kind of jump in the fray around what change is for all of us and really take a look at, you know, have you as the parent, as the adult in this child, this teen's life, done your work of thinking about all of the things that are going on here? This isn't just, I've got bad news to deliver. It's about how have I supported my child in dealing with the online bully? How have I supported my child in talking about their period starting? How have I supported my child in talking about smoking behind the grocery store? How have I supported my child in talking about someone approaching them to be in a gang? All of these pieces fit into this kind of spectrum of adolescence, of childhood, that also has an inherent grief in it. Because even those two things, childhood, adolescence, pivotal developmental spaces, have changed. And there's grief around that for us as parents, which is, okay, uh, locking them in the room, that's not going to do anything. And... You know, that space of like, well, you know, it worked for me when my parents took away my phone or didn't let me go to the prom or didn't let me do this thing. We've got different folks here. We've got a different time here. Um, I am having the deepest conversations of my career right now with people that can't even vote. You know, people that can't even go and you know, get a piece of chewing gum without needing a ride. And it's because we're all thinking about who we're becoming. We're all thinking about this time in a very different way. And it's an amazing vantage point to have, 
but there is also kind of that awareness around like this doesn't feel right and I think that's a better question because the follow-up question is why what's happening what do I need to attend to well I think I like your answer better but it also sounds like a lot more work for parents. So I apologize to the grieving parents out there that it's like, okay, now you got to dig even a little deeper with your kid and your teen to say, what's going on with not wanting to do homework? What's going on with not wanting to help out with taking out the trash? Right. Well, and I'm going to challenge that because I'm wondering why we aren't asking and answering with and for each other around that because I know that, kind of the underpinning of my work with kids has always been like, you know, there aren't any bad kids, there's bad behavior. And my goal is to get to what's behind the behavior. What's happening? That's my favorite question. What's happening here? (laughs) Why are you slamming doors? You know, my kids hate it, but like, they know when I go, what's happening with you? And I point and do the like, you know, (laughs) mama neck. You know, they know, like, I know something else is going on and I'm going beyond the requests I've had or the fact that the garbage still hasn't been taken out. I'm going to, what's up with you? And speaking of of yous in your life right now, you have a grieving youth in your life with a new loss that's come into your family. Can you tell us a little bit about that and and what's happening? Yes. So um, in... All of my incarnations of lives, um, I have been a wife and a mother uh, a couple of 10 or two times. I'm the Elizabeth Taylor of uh, <laughs> of grief, maybe. Um, but like there is um, an incredible um, moment in my life where I gave birth to three amazing kids and my middle daughter, her father, has been battling brain cancer for the better part of the year. And he died now three weeks ago. And preparing for that loss and trying to curate moments and taking my therapist hat off and and really trying to just stay present and anchored in the grief I have at losing an ex-partner and a mate and friend and also trying to give my daughter a narrative around this imperfect, perfect dad of hers. That has been one of the toughest things I've done um, in this work. Facilitating their goodbye was, I don't know that I have the words for it yet. It was an important balancing act of grief, support, as well as being and staying in the moment and being very vulnerable around what this man meant to all of us, especially since all of us had a very different experience and path with him. So navigating that was, that's going to go down as a personal and career highlight. This might be an obvious thing, but I'm wondering what made it hard? What was hard? You mentioned it was the hardest thing. So here's the the challenge, I think, of any 
child, adolescent centered loss is as parents, as grownups, we don't talk about our love stories enough. And thinking about this moment with my own daughter and also thinking about all the moments that I've had with kids over the years, that is my favorite thing to do. And that's also the thing that I love to support parents in is, does your child, does your teen know your love story with the person that's died? I think we take for granted that, okay, if we have pictures around, if we have the photo album, we've done our beauty. Like, you know, it's there. You can look at them if you want to, whatever, you know, like, but we don't do the work of talking about these kind of formative narratives of how we met, what we love, who we were then, how we saw each other at that moment. There's a, a real absence of that narrative for a lot of grieving kids. And one of the things that I have really enjoyed in this time with my own daughter has been talking to her about our love story, especially since he had other partners, um, he had other children. So there's a, there's a lot of conflict around who we think our people are. And in particular, I think children of divorce, um, children who don't know their parents or have, you know, been abandoned or don't have those parents in their lives, that's usually the narrative they get. Well, your dad's not here, whatever. I got to go do this by myself. Or, you know, like, you can riff on that forever, right? And we don't often think about the fact that we're not giving our children that place marker. Well, if she's angry now, if she doesn't allow me to say nice things, or if I don't know who this person is, that's just a dusty photo album. That's just a place that I don't feel I can go. And so I actually have really loved talking to her about our love story, because there was one. There was a beautiful one, a wild one, a really incredible, life-changing um, space. And she is a part of that narrative. Get to your love story. That's the only way we get through this is being able to create an identity around who your person was, really, as well as what your relationship is going to be moving forward. You know who you are. You know who loved you. It makes this walk a little different. I love that idea of helping children and teens create a multidimensional narrative about the person. And that so often they can get tracked into feeling like I can only talk about my dad's good parts with this person. And I can always only talk about my dad's not so good parts with this person, but I can't talk about both of those parts with both of these people. And then Kids and teens have to compartmentalize so much and it a lot gets lost in that in that movement. Yeah. And I think it's so important for if we, you know, really engage what a loss does for us, you know, it, it's that formative piece, the formative context. And if you don't have answers to your questions around like, well, did my parents love each other? 
who am I then? You know, like, and that's the, the gift. I think that even if they're hard things, complex things, because that's a question that gets asked a lot um, in groups and in sessions. It's like, okay, I'm not supposed to love him. I'm not supposed to be thinking about him this much because he was this bad dad or this bad person or they were never there. But that's not the next answered question in the heart. It's like, why am I so conflicted? Why am I so sad, so lost, so angry, dot, 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 whatever those feelings are. And I think when we fill in that kind of gap of information, you give people something to shape and mold. And I think that's tremendous. And sitting in this place for yourself right now as a professional who has personal grief coming up in lots of ways, thinking of other people out in the listenership who might be in a similar position or situation, like what's helping you right now? I will be very honest with you. It's, this isn't great. I mean, like there's a, there's a, a heaviness to not being able to physically be in the same space during this time. There's a, a weight to doing this through digital means. There's even a vulnerability around it too. Um, I'm thinking about all of the helpers that are out here doing this from our bedrooms, you know, from that one clean corner in your house, you know, like muzzling dogs and, you know, errant cats and that vulnerability, if you don't know who you are, can be very challenging um, to add on top of trying to be present with people and walk with people. And so what I have been very intentional about is really making my space what I want it to be. I have begun buying myself flowers every couple of days. And that's a habit I'm going to have to break soon because it's getting expensive. But (laughs) it's, it's something that for both of us, my daughter and myself, having flowers in the house has been this phenomenal kind of little caretaking, like did you cut the stems and, and I want these in my room. And it's been a way for us to kind of bond. There's also just the part of like total veg out days that we've been having where, you know, it's just us under the covers watching a lot of Netflix. And I'm ready for Netflix too to come out, by the way, like <laughs> everything. But like there is... um Part of this, that's also about a lot of gratitude, really trying to curate that as a a foundation thought in the morning, throughout the day, um, when things get heavy, even when she's struggling, to just be fully situated in, I'm just so grateful that we're together in this moment. I am so grateful to be home. In a time where I would probably be trying to figure out how to get leave from work to be here with you. You know, like that there would be this whole logistic and dynamic around me not being here for you. And I am so glad we get to just dance around each other all day and that you growl at me from the other side of your door. And like, that's 
that's a gift of this time. I think that's a gift of this moment for all of us. This is a standstill and look around you and assess all that you have to change, all that you can be grateful for, all that you have to lose, all that you can curate and, and make more space for. That's what I'm doing in terms of taking care of myself is asking myself those questions like, okay, is this really important to go to Target every Saturday or was that was something I was doing? I'm, oh, I'm so enjoying, no, I'm so enjoying like, yeah, I don't feel comfortable with that. There's a, a weight that that takes off of pre-grief me, pre-COVID me, and also just kind of being real intentional about what I am letting in and what I am making space for. And I think that that's a, a gift of this moment. Yeah, it seems like it's really shifting for a lot of folks what boundaries mean, what limits mean, what capacity means. And yeah, I love that idea of like, what are we, what do we want to open the door to? What do we want to keep opening the door to? Because we're, we're being a lot more conscientious about who and what we're opening the door to. Yes. Well, Alicia, I am so grateful for this time. As you talked about gratitude, so grateful for this time of you letting me and our listeners into not only like your amazing professional world and accomplishments, but the way that grief is really a part of your personal life right now and, and just honoring that vulnerability. And, and thank you for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you. Um, I think that's one of the things that we learned about um, people that are living with loss, which is we don't get to talk about our people enough. We don't get to talk about the feeling for this and so you've given me that today. And I told you there's probably going to be tears splatter all over the laptop and um, <laughs> that you would have to do a lot of editing. But um, I'm just grateful for being able to, to be in this moment and, and to share him and, and to share my daughter and our walk in this. They're used to me dragging them into my narratives and work, but like this definitely changes things. And I'm living and waiting for what this set of changes is going to do in my heart and also in my work. So we will all be staying tuned for what changes might be coming in your work. And I'll link to your website and our show notes. Is there any other place that people should be going to connect with you or to learn more about your work? Well, certainly, you know, the Speaking Grief documentary, um, the beautiful, beautiful work done by WPSU and, you know, sponsored by New York Life Foundation has reemerged and it's available to everyone um, as of yesterday. And I, you know, fully, fully invite people to engage both on their social media as well as, you know, to watch the documentary and share it. It's time. It's time for us to be speaking grief. And I'm glad to be a part of that conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for that reminder. And listeners, I'll put the link to the Speaking Grief. There's a one hour long documentary where you can hear more from Alicia sharing a lot of her wisdom in that. And then on WPSU social media channels and on their website, there's these amazing short video clips of people who were both uh, speak featured in the documentary, but also folks who just were part of the project. So there's things to learn, things to watch, things to read. Uh, it's really an amazing 
whole initiative put together. So I'm glad I can connect with you by watching that video again, Alicia. And thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is amazing. And listeners out there, as I say each and every time, thank you so much for being part of our community. Otherwise, we'd be talking into the void. So we're glad that you're out there. If you ever want to connect with me, let me know what the show means to you. You can reach me at griefoutloud. That's Grief Out Loud at Dougie.org. And if you're ever drawn to supporting the work of Grief Out Loud and of the Dougie Center, you can donate on our website, which is dougy.org forward slash Grief Out Loud. And there's a large blue donate button at the top that you can click. So thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time.